This morning we're in Psalm 144 and we're in 2 Samuel 9. Uh, David, to give you a little background, is uh, attracting mighty men of valor, mighty warriors, and they are beginning to align themselves with him. Men that God has chosen as warriors. Back in the early 60s, my older brother went to Vietnam. He returned after his tour of duty safely. And the whole climate of the Vietnam War was one of uh, unpopular, uh, politically speaking. It was a time of great unrest in America. Some of our young men, when drafted, chose to go to Canada versus serving in the Army. The hippie movement came about in the 60s, and uh, it attracted a lot of attention. And they had a theme, the hippies did, drug, sex, rock and roll. And that's basically how they lived. But the hippies were glorified, especially after their, <clears throat> their time of popularity. And they were glorified by the press as, you know, uh, love-ins and all this kind of thing. But having lived through that period, I found the hippies to be unkept druggies needing a bath. And that's how most people perceived them. But they seem to be glorified in our world as it looks back upon them. And there's, their numbers were really very small. And I lived in Southern California at this time. And, you know, they, they took a few and extrapolated them across the borders and basically uh, Timothy Leary and all these kind of guys were around. But when our soldiers came home from Vietnam, many were ridiculed and disrespected. There was not that honor given to the Vietnam vets that uh, is shown to our vets that are returning from Afghanistan and Iraq and Iran today. And with that introduction, Let's go to Psalm 144, and let's read the first four verses. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. My loving kindness, my fortress, my high tower, my deliverer, my shield, and the one whom I take refuge, who subdues my people under me. Lord, what is man that you, you take knowledge of him or the son of man that you're mindful of him? Man is like a breath, his days like a passing shadow. Uh, that's the first four verses. David, he is a valiant warrior to say the least. He's a, a great leader. He was a psalmist. And he blesses God who teaches him 
warfare. Teaches his hands to be skilled in battle. David at a very early age learned to uh, sling a stone with great accuracy. Goliath testifies of that. But without his background as a shepherd protecting sheep from the likes of lions and bears, we see that God had his hand on David and was preparing him to fight as a valiant warrior, to kill giants. And I believe this was all in God's plan as David was alone out there in the fields with his sheep. David glorifies God as his uh, goodness, his kindness. He says, God is my fortress, my deliverer. He's the high tower that I run into and take refuge in. And don't miss that one verse that says, and God subdues the people of Israel under him. He was a popular king. David has God as his political ally. And we read today all kind of the, the popularity poll of our president. It's up, by the way. The economy is doing good. But his popularity rating is at 40%. That means 60 against and 44. <laughs> so uh, David has his people appreciating him. And they, they like David as a king. Maybe you're like me. The evening news can depress. <laughs> I grow so weary of the opponents of our president criticizing him uh, for his behavior, for his actions. And you can't help but listen to the news and realize that the news media has their own agenda. But in verse 3 and 4, David asked the Lord, what is man that you take knowledge of him or that you are mindful of him? And David answers his own question. Man's life is like a breath, like a vapor. At best, it is momentarily. It's like a passing shadow. And David is in awe of God that he even acknowledges mankind. I get awed by God. I get awed by God for things like his patience with me <laughs> and his patience with you. <laughs> uh, and we're, we're his people. But yet I, I'm amazed at how... He is so willing to work with us, take us through difficult times, through good times, all in the attempts to mature us. We are the sheep of his pasture, and he takes care of us. Now let's finish that chapter, verses 5 through 15. Bow down your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains, and they shall smoke. 
flash forth lightning and scatter them. Shoot out your arrows and destroy them. Stretch out your hand from above. Rescue me and deliver me out of great waters from the hand of foreigners whose mouth speak lying words and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. I will sing a new song to you, O God. On a harp of ten strings, I will sing praises to you. The one who gives salvation to kings, who delivers David his servant from the deadly sword. Rescue me and deliver me from the hand of foreigners whose mouth speak lying words and whose right hand is a hand of falsehood, twice mentioned. That our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth, that our daughters may be as pillars sculptured in palace style, that our barns may be full supplying all kinds of produce, that our sheep may bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields, that our oxen will be well laden, that there will be no breaking in or going out, and that there be no outcry in our streets. Happy are the people who are in such a state. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. As you can see, David had a wonderful, uh, emotional, satisfactory relationship with God. And in verse 7 he says, Rescue me from great waters or floods. In this past year, Houston, Texas, just a few months back, experienced the greatest flood that they've ever experienced, probably the greatest flood in the history of the United States. They got 60 and one-half inch, inches of rain in like a, a week's period of time. That's the most rain for any cyclone or hurricane in U.S. history. And it fell in last, uh, in last August, like I said, in about a week's time. Now, 60 and a half inches of rain is a lot of rain. We get 54 inches of rain a year on average here. And we're in a rainy area. But most home damages uh, from tornadoes, from hurricanes, uh, come about in flooding. Flood is the big destroyer. And David throws in, rescue me from the waters and from the hand of foreigners. How do we differ from many foreign nations, many pagan nations. And it's our respect of life. Life is precious in the United States, mostly. But for many foreigners, death can be sort of matter of fact. It's difficult for us as Americans to reconcile the death rate in places like Syria. We do not understand how ISIS or, or different leaders of their own people or terrorist group, how they can kill even their own people so violently. That's, that's strange to us. 
And we have a hard time wrapping our mind around the little value that is placed on our life. But verse 8 speaks about the right hand is a right hand of falsehood. And that's repeated in verse 11. Now, my interpretation of that, it, it's, is it okay to lie in a covenant or in a treaty with another nation promoting your cause and then shaking hands on it by saying, I give you my word. Well, I don't think so. We've all heard of how years ago that a man's word was only as good as his word. You know, you could borrow money just on your word, but we don't dare do that anymore. We have contracts on everything we do. But your handshake was you were giving your oath. You were giving your word. And that still goes on many times in a deal. Somebody will strike a deal and you shake hands on it. But the shaking of hands by some people is falsehood. It's a lie. In, the, in many cultures, it's okay to lie to your enemy. That's acceptable. And David makes mention of it. Their right hand is falsehood. Verse 14 uh, kind of brings my attention to the grazing habits of animals. Grazing habits, perhaps, of my cows. Now, I have a little farm, and I separate my hay fields from my pasture land. And it's amazing to me no matter how good the pasture is, the cows will stick their head through a barbed wire fence to eat a little bit of grass that looks a little greener to them in the hay field. Just this past week, I drive in my driveway and I look out in the field and there's a big old black cow of mine on the wrong side of the fence, just laying there chewing her cud. I go, oh man. This means she's probably broke the fence to get out, which she had. And she had torn down a section of fence just to graze a few mouthfuls of what looked like better grass to her. I go down, open the gate, usher her back in, repair the fence. And David talks about the grazing habits of animals and how that's kind of important to him. <clears throat> David closes this psalm with, Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Have you ever thought about that? God has took the edge off of our lives for as security. God has took the edge off of our lives as uh, peace with himself. We have peace uh, through Jesus with God the Father. And we avoid many of the struggles that most people go through that are not Christians. 
Consider that sometimes. Let me just mention the one. We live at peace as a believer with our creator. That's a biggie, by the way. That's a big deal. That we can have peace with the one who made us. Okay, that's Psalm 144. Now, Second Samuel. We're going to try to stay on chronological order here. Second Samuel chapter 9. Jonathan, David's friend, Saul's son, had a son that was, a, that was crippled as a toddler. Mephibosheth was his name. Remember, David's closest friend ever was Jonathan. All of Jonathan's family has been killed by the Philistines in war. His father Saul, Jonathan, and all of Jonathan's son, except for Mephibosheth. I'll probably struggle with that all evening, or morning here. But anyway, so 2 Samuel 9. Now David said, is there anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when he had called him to David, the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, at your service. Then the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in the feet. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Mekir, the son of Amiel, in Lodibar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Mekir, the son of Amiel, from Lodibar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, here is your servant. So David said to him, do not fear, I will surely show kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? And the king said to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and all his house. You therefore and your sons and all your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. That's a lot of boys, by the way. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. And as for Mephibosheth, said the king, He shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth 
dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both feet. David solidified as king. Uh, he's now been reigning for about 15 years. And he seeks out Saul's relatives, mainly his sons and their sons. And he does it all because he remembers the friendship that he had with Jonathan. Such a great friendship in, in all of scriptures. It's one of the top friendships there. Ziba, Saul's servant, tells David, only Mephibosheth, who is lame in both feet, remain as Jonathan's only surviving son. David sends for Mephibosheth. And he comes to David, and he falls on his face, and he prostrates himself in humility before David. And David asks, Mephibosheth? And he said, here is your servant. Mephibosheth is afraid. He knows how his grandfather Saul pursued David, trying to kill him. And David replies, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid, Mephibosheth, for I will show you kindness, all because of Jonathan's sake. And Mephibosheth, I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather. And that was a lot of land, by the way. And Mephibosheth, you shall eat bread at my table continually. Mephibosheth is overcome by David's kindness to him. Kings usually killed off the family of their political enemies. Mephibosheth bows before David and asks, Who am I that you should honor me? I am nothing except like a dead dog before you. A very humble way to present yourself. David appoints Ziba as a manager over Saul's wealth, given in full to Mephibosheth. He says to Ziba, Mephibosheth is now your master. And serve him well. Serve him well, Ziba. Harvest his fields so that Mephibosheth's sons and his family, that they may prosper. What a deep concern by David. But he says, I want Mephibosheth to eat bread at my table always. I always want to look out across my table and see Mephibosheth there with me. Now, Ziba had his own large family, but he's honored to serve David, his king, regarding his wishes towards Mephibosheth. And he tells David, I will do all that you say. Evidently, he's a well-respected, good servant. Ziba has been taking care of Micah, a son of Mephibosheth. Ziba has been a special servant of Saul when he was alive. 
Now he's a special servant to uh, Saul's grandson. And I imagine he was a special servant to Jonathan also. So Mephibosheth, simply because of his lineage, his heritage, being Jonathan's son, receives great honor. The saga, the story of Mephibosheth, occurs after David has been king for 15 years. Now for 15 years, Mephibosheth probably has lived in fear. Fear of David coming to take his life because he was Saul's grandson. David, he brings Mephibosheth from Lodibar, and Lodibar means a rocky pasture wasteland. He's living out in the wilderness in a wasteland. And when he is summoned by David, Mephibosheth, he's probably expecting the worst. King David has finally got around to destroying King Saul's family, and I'm the only one left. And basically... Calling himself a dead dog, he's saying to David, I am no threat to your kingdom. But to Mephibosheth's surprise, David wants to honor him, to restore him, and return the lands, pleasant lands for the waste lands. And Mephibosheth, he graciously accepts David's offer to eat at his table continually. Now consider that. To eat at the king's table was a great, great honor. Mephibosheth is not to drop in and have a meal occasionally, but he's to be like a son to David, eating each and every day with the king. Now, if I had to eat with some of you each and every day, it wouldn't be so bad long as it was a Blakely's at their Friday night meal. <laughs> That's good food. <laughs> and we have good fellowship. But you have to have a good relationship to eat with someone each and every day. You have to be like family. Consider that. Consider that, and I want you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. We'll read about the Laodiceans. Jesus is calling for the church of Laodicea to be either hot or cold. But being lukewarm, Jesus finds it very offensive. So Revelation chapter 3, verses 17 through 20. Listen to Jesus' assessment of Laodicea. Because you say... I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, and the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint 
uh, your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. And then Jesus has a word for them. He's called them out on how they're lacking. But now he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. It is not only Mephibosheth who is lame and lowly. We too receive an invitation to dine with the king. Not the king of Israel, the king of the universe. Verse 20, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. David in his psalm said, who is mankind that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you take notice of him? Each and every one of us bring baggage into our relationship with our Lord. We've all had what I call disabling events of life come upon us. Things that we could blame for uh, not succeeding or whatever. We've, many of us have had bad childhoods, crippling relationships. Many of us have been sinned against unfairly. Some of us have even been abandoned by those who are supposed to love us. And in the body of Christ and outside of the body of Christ, the world is full of emotional orphans and widows. Like I said, we bring a lot of baggage into our relationship with the Lord. And Jesus declares to all of us, all of us Mephibosheths, open up the door. I will come into you and I will dine with you. We have one requirement. Open the door of belief in your heart and have a relationship with the king of the universe. Not only is Mephibosheth honored, as believers we have great honor and blessing by our Lord Jesus. Amen. Develop your relationship with He wants a relationship with us. He wants to dine with us. And in that culture and in that day, if you ate with someone, you became one with them. Eat with your Lord. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer.